Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. First up, let's look at those business stories and a few others indeed that are making this morning's papers and indeed online. Joining me this morning, uh, the first of the New Year reviews, uh, our businesswoman and broadcaster Nora Casey joins me, as does Ian Kern, the business reporter with the Irish Times. Uh, good morning, all. Straight and from the gym. Ab- there you go. Obviously. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out how that all works a bit later on, Nora. But tell us about um, this morning's Irish Independent. Uh, thousands build without planning, but they still get away with it. Um, a, a kind of a, an interesting headline, but when you get behind the figures, you might be tempted. Yeah, definitely tempted. And and also, I can feel that a lot of this happened because of frustration with planning. I have personal experience, I'll tell you in a second, but Amy Malloy did a bit of an investigation, went to all the local authorities and the councils, sorry, and, and found out how many of them um, received notices for um, retention. And typically this happens when you want to sell and you need to be planning compliance. So people go ahead and build, sometimes even when they've been told they can't get permission. And it ranges from... I can understand if you went to almost any new build, you might find a deviation. So some are just deviations to the existing. Yeah, I think that's an important point, yeah. that how many of these are for a minor indiscretion, such as a, a different window or something. And some of them are big whoppers of houses. Yeah, or is it a, is it <laughs> a big development extension. that somebody decided? I mean, I can, you can see 11,000, it concerned 11,000 people. You can see like something like uh, Dublin City Council, they had a 1,260 retention applications. In other words, people who went ahead and just built without planning permission. And they refused only... 193 of them. Um, my own half 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 county, Leitrim, is the best in the country because they received um, 192 granted, only two denied of their retention application. Which tells us something else, Ian, does it not? You know, if there's only two retention uh, applications in Leitrim being denied and 192 granted over a period, you know, maybe, just maybe if you were thinking about it and putting on a, maybe a lean-to onto the side of the house, you might be tempted to go that route. Yeah, I think it certainly looks that way. But you, obviously, you have to counterbalance that with some of the other stories in the piece. And there's a very interesting story there about a couple uh, in Mead who were who were refused permission for a dorm or bungalow and instead decided to build a, uh, I think it was a 558 uh, uh, square metre house or whatever. And there's a picture of that so, on yeah, page seven. Uh, an absolute uh, giant of a house. And uh, they've been sort of in planning hell ever since. Plenty of, you know, applications and refusals. And, and, and that kind of thing and they say that they do regret it and you know there are plenty of cases like that where, where, where people are refused uh, and then apply for retention permission but then the local authority as one person says in this tries to make an example out of them because of that so there are risks associated with it there are costs associated with it as well so you might be tempted but I think certainly there there, there seems to be still sort of a, a yeah. good reason not to And your, your point about the costs there as well made if you're in you know in, in, in legal yeah. turmoil for, for a decade plus your legal costs are going to be significant. And if you lose, yeah. you know, there you're going to be, and you could potentially have the council's legal costs Certainly. as well. Yeah, yeah. But, but reading this, if I was reading the story now, I, well, first I'm kicking myself because when we came back here first in 2002, Richard and I bought a Victorian villa that needed um, some work and we applied for planning and got refused. And then uh, we went to appeal. I think at the end we paid 16,000, which was a huge amount of money for us in those days. And um, we got refused on appeal and a Scottish inspector came over who knew nothing about Irish property. And they said there wasn't enough inspectors in Ireland and that they were now subcontracting it to Scotland. So so it took us years. I think we didn't actually manage to get 
uh, planning permission on some new plans until 2011. So yeah. and if I was reading this now, I'm a rule, I'm one who sits by the rules, you know, so it's sadly. Um, but if I was reading this and I was out there around the country going through, battling through our difficult planning application laws and, and, and all of the bureaucracy that's associated with it, you can see that almost all of these happen through frustration. Yeah. yeah. And I think it does speak to a lack of resources at the yeah. planning authority level, as you, as you kind of mentioned there. It is, the system is current, kind of currently reliant on complaints from neighbours, but, you know, exactly. what happens if, yeah. if that doesn't happen, you know? And there's another piece in the same uh, uh, section about uh, vital wind farms still have no pl- planning applications submitted. And these were granted eight months ago, the licences for these four new offshore wind farms, the first that we're going to have in, in 20 years. And, you know, you hear all this talk about, you know, uh, renewable energy and getting there, but that seems like yeah. an excessive delay and there's going to be more to follow. OK, we'll move on, Ian. What about inflation rise, foils, earlier interest cut, rate cuts? Some some surprise, I think, across a number of the papers today about a kind of uh, inflation creeping back in just when uh, the EU thought that they had it under control. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly there was a lot of uh, very hopeful bets made by investors towards the end of last year that um, the path for interest rates was clear this year, that there would be a number of cuts from the main central banks and um, the latest figures from Eurostat, the latest inflation figures uh, seem to sort of pour a bit of cold water on that to some extent. Um, We've seen an uptick in in, uh, annual inflation in the Eurozone from 2.4% in November to 2.9%. 9% in December. In Ireland, it went from about 2.5% to 3.2%. So pretty significant. There is some hope in there, though, of course. I think what's interesting is we are seeing core inflation, which is food inflation and, and energy prices, crucially, starting to come down. But you are still seeing sort of some uh, generalised price inflation in other baskets of goods. And that is a bit of a worry. And I think it's certainly a worry in the context of, you know, a lot of the easing of inflation that has happened over the last 12 months is, is due to the easing of the kind of supply chain bottlenecks that we saw during COVID. Yeah. Now with all of this kind of geopolitical tension in the Red Sea and so on, I think there is a fear that we may start to see them kind of blockages appear again, which may, you know, increase prices again. So there's plenty of road to travel this year. I don't think it's clear cut what's, what's going to happen. I think one of the key things is it's very confusing. So all eyes are on the CSO a Consumer Price Index, which is out at the end of the month, which might offer some clarity. But even the ECB is disagreeing slightly with this sentiment of it yeah. being, um, they're, they're essentially saying that by spring we'll see some interest rate cuts. And you have to, like anybody listening to things around inflation, it is the most consuming, confusing area for people to understand because the reality is the price growth, which is the one that excludes um, goods and food and energy, eased to 3.4% from 3.6%. So so there's all of the trends of price pressures cooling are certainly there. And you have to say that we've had a very unique year. It's very unusual because these headline numbers um, are talking also about government subsidies being eased off at the moment. Um, We have low energy prices which were removed from uh, the base services. The, I think the one worrying trend is services up by 0.7%, which sounds tiny, but that really is about wages and earnings. And we haven't settled all of our wage agreements in this country. So that, I think of all of them, that's the one. Yeah, and food inflation is still running over 8%. Yeah, so exactly. it, it's, it's yeah. 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 Okay, well, we'll return to it uh, another time. Um, the, the introduction of the uh, SCARP, um, Ian, which is the Small Company administra- Administrative Rescue Process, uh, comes up for, for some debate in your own paper today. Um, 
basically, even though the numbers seem very small of uh, 33 uh, people avail- companies availing of it, it represents a 50% increase. Uh, so maybe as people begin to understand these processes yeah. and the costs sort of bottom out on what it typically costs, people will engage with them more. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like as you know, this is something that uh, businesses have been crying out for for a very long time, this examinership light process um, that doesn't entail the kind of costs associated with a full examinership, which obviously requires you to go to the high court, which, you know, and so on. So so SCARP is is something that businesses have been have been calling out for. And it's obviously particularly important that it came in when it did. Uh, at a time when a lot of small businesses were on supports and being kept on effectively life support uh, during COVID uh, through sort of government subsidies. So so SCARP is something that uh, came in at exactly the right time and I think you're starting to see the benefit of it now. And Nora, I think you know the restaurant uh, that was trading for 60 years in Cork. Yeah, Tung Sing. Yeah. I I think, firstly, SCARP, I think, needs a huge profile you know, raising exercise because people don't know about it. I mean, when you think six, I know it's small, but 600 jobs saved at, at 36, 32 companies is is pretty good for the amount, the small amount of companies they were dealing with, which was 33 in 2023. <clears throat> so it's it's really good if you're in, unsure and you're out there, especially now we've hit the cold month of January, might have been clinging on up coming up to Christmas, legacy issues around inflation. Um, so Dead warehousing, yeah, etc. Yeah, give them a call, Scarp. <clears throat> but the dark side is that we do know that there's an increase in insolvencies, and you, you're reading about them all day, every day, and people are on social media talking about how devastating it is for them to close their business. And and after 60 years, you know, Tong Singh have had to close their doors. And tonight is their last night, actually, in Cork, they're in St. Patrick Street. And that came soon after Pigali Kitchen, which was named one of the top 100 issues in Ireland in the Sunday Times list, and they closed a little while ago. So yeah. it is. It it is tragic and, to see and these places. Out of that story, we see Richard Jacob. Uh, yeah. he, he ran uh, Idaho Cafe in Cork yeah. for 21 years. Very interesting analysis that he, he basically says that the average restaurant will need to increase prices by 15% to cover all the additional costs that they've had yeah. of, you know, of uh, pension schemes and employer PSI, etc. So if you take that 15%, he re- represents it as a 350 cup of coffee becomes four euro an 18 euro pasta dish is over 20 euro yeah, so you know that 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 sort of brings it home in you know when you look at it and say you know i can't put up the prices and that look much. we've just talked about inflation and yeah. earnings yeah. And, and the tragedy is that the area's deepest <clears throat> hit is hospitality and the independent retail sector which is often the most beautiful part of your of your town, of your local village. You know, they're the places that add the heart and soul to it. Yeah. Ian, I know you've written a lot about this, but again, uh, back to your own paper, and we didn't do this on purpose, but uh, back to your own paper (laughs) of note. uh, (coughs) The new task force uh, to meet to assess potential, the whole of page four. There's three or four really good stories in there about uh, potentially changing offices uh, to residential accommodation, about how bad offices could make great homes, and about this new task force yeah. that's been looked at uh, to, 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 to drive, uh, I suppose, policy and strategy. Yeah. 
Um, some really good stuff here, as you said, by Olivia Kelly. Um, the first thing to mention, as you say, is that there is a, a government task force being set up or set to meet in the, in the coming days um, to look at this idea of turning some of Dublin's older um, office stock into apartments, obviously in the context of uh, kind of lower demand than perhaps uh, people would have expected for offices post-COVID, but also in the context of a housing crisis. And I think it is an interesting, uh, certainly an interesting way to look at it. Um, the, the, the big sort of theme here, I think is that uh, businesses and particularly sort of the big employers, when they're looking for offices in the capital, they're looking for the kind of newer state of the art offices, offices with, um, you know, high energy ratings and so on. And that means that there's a lot of the older stock built in the 70s and the 80s, uh, stock that, you know, most Dubliners, a lot of Dubliners don't like anyway, uh, that is kind of going begging. But you also have the Victorian buildings that were, if you look at Baggett Street, Mount Street, all those that, that primarily were you know, the mecca of, of the Dublin office scene, a lot of them are now vacant. Yeah, certainly. And there's some really interesting stuff in there from an architect who is kind of looking at this idea of turning uh, some of those older buildings into into residential um, developments, um, who mentioned specifically that, like, the lower ceilings in certain buildings in Dublin, um, you know, they're not really fit for purpose in a modern office, but they can actually be quite easily converted to yeah. to, to, to an apartment. Now, some other architects who I've spoken to would, would sort of disagree with that and disagree with that, but he- certainly... Certainly, I think in Dublin, the, the situation is very different than it is in New York, where he, it is much more expensive. He, he had a bit of a stretch saying he could make them into Manhattan loft <laughs> apartments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I grew up on the north side of the city, so they, they knocked down the Victorian Georgian houses yeah. to build those but, 60s monstrosities. And they're p- particularly ugly looking. And I know that John Dobbins says bad offices can make great homes. But the key is, how can you do it without demolishing them? Because that's really not yeah, what good the game is about now. You know, how yeah, do you keep the I, I, I actually think that you know, if you follow the money here, yeah. and as the office market continues to collapse, you know, the only option will be yeah. to look at these as residential dwellings, and that will will effectively, yeah. uh, you know, give us some progress in the area. I think the counter to that, though, and, and some would say is that the, the, the pipeline for new offices drops off really dramatically this year. Yeah. And, and actually, the economy is still creating quite a lot of jobs on an annual basis. So the, I suppose, you know, you might say the problem is what happens when, uh, if you re- do reduce the office stock by getting rid of these and making them residential, obviously, that's probably sort of thin gruel in the context. Yeah, well, I, I also uh, think that, crisis, the, that, that the way we interact with the office has now kind of fundamentally changed, well, yeah. changed, which is going to un- ultimately lead in less demand, whatever way you look at it. In cities, in, you know, giving you know, housing for all, and this is where this task force has come from, why would you have 5,500 empty commercial properties sitting in all around the city without thinking about whether you could turn them into residents? It makes no sense. no sense. And Bobby, as you said, in any case, the relationship with the office has changed so people are going in for one or two days. Why would you have a big, expensive building sitting in a, a central city area and only be used a yeah. portion of the time when people could live there 100%? Of yeah, time, yeah. Know? Briefly, Ian, will you give us an update on a new insurance uh, arrival into the marketplace? Yeah, good news for home and motor insurers. A, uh, a new company, Out Insurance, is expected to start uh, offering home and motor in, uh, cover here in the coming months. Um, it, it's reported here that the uh, the Central Bank of Ireland has given it a licence to operate. Um, the good news here is that it, it is a kind of a, uh, certainly a, a low-cost insurer and something that um, people will hope will c- kind of undercut the market here. As long as it stays in the 
the market. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that is the, the wider context here. I think one thing that will catch people's eye is that um, they offer a bonus scheme where customers get 10% of their premium in, in cash back if they stay with the company for three years and have no claims, kind of the opposite of the loyalty penalty that I think... A lot Sounds of like a bit of a gimmick, but maybe it yes. isn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. And obviously, as you say, the context for this is, you know, there's been a 39% decline in the number of insurers in Ireland since 2009. Yeah. Um, so no, this is welcome. It's good news. Yeah. Uh, Nora, Apple's crown as the world's top stock is under threat as the iPhone demand weakens. This is a very interesting story. Yeah, very interesting. It's slipping. The crown is slipping. Um, I think um, it's been the world's most valuable since um, around July 2022. It's fallen sharply. Now, I think the, the reason is it's had two ratings downgrades and it's not that it's fallen sharply. It's on a losing streak. In other words, it's on its five, fifth consecutive uh, loss. It started into January down. Um, it, its market valuation, for instance, has been wiped by $183 billion. To have that written off, your Microsoft market value. Has, has, has gone down, but not as much because it is the largest shareholder in AI, in open AI. Yeah. And as the, the piece says, Wall, Wall Street is absolutely mesmerised by yeah. open AI and AI. So it's really holding its own in the tech sector. But Apple is the only big tech company to have fallen as drastically as this. Yeah, I think it's interesting, as you say, uh, like tech has been one of the bright spots in on, on Wall Street last year, has really driven a lot of the indices forward last year. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, to see this kind of, uh, you know, it is... it is The Magnificent remarkable. Seven, as Karma yeah. Cousy calls them. And sorry, linked to China, that's the important thing to of say. Course, is that yeah. Those of you out there, and I'm a massive fan, everything I own is Mac and Apple. Um, but, but I don't think people on this side of the world are going to be not buying the next um, iPhone. Uh, but China is the market that everybody looks at. And because of the weakness in that economy, that's why the downgrade has happened. In the electric uh, car figures are out. Uh, Philip Nolan tells us about them up by 45%. Uh, really, really strong uh, buoyancy in those figures. And also prices starting to fall. Yeah, yeah. Um, really particularly interesting, I suppose, in the context that the government actually slashed the subsidies, the grand subsidies halfway through last year for, yeah. for uh, new EV purchases. Um, obviously, the, the idea there is to try to take that money and put it into kind of things like EV charging and, 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 and sort of that, you know, phase of the development of, of the market here, um, which is something that Adrian Weckler brings up as well in the Irish Independent, um, just in his What I Love and Hate About Switching to an Electric Car. It's kind of one year later after buying his first EV uh, and one of the things he mentions there of course is that bad public charging infrastructure remains the biggest or one of the biggest problems he, he says there on the main road from Dublin to Ballina which is a 235 kilometre stretch of road there's just one single high power charging seems at the moment absolutely crazy amazing and, um, and I think so. The, the great news about electric cars is that the percentage of market shares are around just below 19% um, and also that um, by the way this is a really surprise fact from Phillips that automatic accounts for 64.5% of... Now, I would have thought it was so much higher because my dad drove a manual. I suppose I don't drive a manual, but obviously... Well, all the all the electric cars are automatic per yeah. se. But yeah. this so, is all cars. Yeah. You know, people still... No, I, I agree with you. It seems but very low. The, 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 the thing about Adrian's piece is great because I think people wonder about electric cars. And, you know, if you... If you look at the advantage, yes, you're not paying for fuel, zero carbon, but electricity's gone up, as we all know, so it's more expensive. Um, the cost of maintenance, the cost of servicing is really, really good. 
but and they have longer battery life than they used to. They're given warranties of eight years now at the moment. Um, but the downside is this issue of the government says that by 2030 there'll be a, mo- a million electric cars and you can't find a charging station or a fast acting one. You have to put one into your home. We saw recently scams that related to that. And I, as a, a woman, like if, if I, I have a hybrid and I would immediately move um, to electric if I thought I could get up and down to Cork, which I go to regularly, without having to pull in for an hour. As a woman well, on my own in a darkened place sure, yeah, and, yeah. Wait, well, and wait to charge. As know? somebody who drives an electric car, my mother says to me when I come down to her, are you in the real car or are you in an electric <laughs> car? She can't get her head around it. Uh, Ian, just finally, very quickly there, uh, you can say that again or can you? Um, an analysis of our townland uh, or, or the townlands of Ireland by Mal Rogers in the mail. Uh, there's some interesting gems in there, is there not? Yeah, I, I knew you tried to get me to pronounce a few of these. That's, uh, yeah, some, some great ones in there. Liz Ballyfoot, uh, uh, the townland of memory. Uh, some, some in, in my own county of Kilkenny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some great names. Of course, Northern Ireland then has, uh, you know, an Ulster in particular, uh, obviously, in a wider sense, has some of the more, uh, uh, you know, difficult to pronounce names. Tullinagwiggy. Uh, uh, do you want to try a few? <laughs> Will you have no I'll try, I'll try, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Mal used to write for me in London and he's great at finding these weird stories. And I think the main point is he's saying one of the great ancient historic parts about Ireland is our townlands and mm. they're beautiful and the names are weird and of course loads of the tourists don't know how to pronounce them but that doesn't mean we shouldn't preserve them and my I come from my mother comes from North Leitrim where we have places like Farta and Hanlet and all kinds of strange sounding places and and the one that he, he particularly um, now I'm going to try it right Caro Murwana Mukla in Mahara County Down and he says the least favourite man at a GAA match is the one that starts with give me a C <laughs> give me a there a. you go <laughs> Cara Murani Mukla that's how they call it up there Ian, good one Bobby before Ian, we go oh, uh, I, I won't work to the people who know uh, the town of the townland of Kilmore Quay uh, there's an area outside it uh, I won't say it on air but it's an interesting <laughs> one alright we'll leave it there big thanks to my guests Nora Casey and Ian Carn. have a lovely weekend folks thanks and Thanks for a great analysis of the business stories. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.